It's the first day of school. There are new friends to be made and plenty to explore. The teachers and staff are here to help with any problem that may arise. Just be sure to steer clear of Groundsy's hut. We listened to the first episode of Taz Graduation, so you know what that means. It's time for Talking Taz. All right, everyone. Welcome to Talkin' Taz. This is our very first episode, and this is Talkin' Taz with Lauren and PJ. I am your wonderful host, PJ, and with me, as always, is my wonderful co-host, Lauren. Hello. Thank you for joining us today, and today we will be talking about one of the meteor episodes of The Adventure Zone Graduation, which is the very first episode, Orientation. It's so long. There's so much. And there's so much to cover that I kind of just want to get right on into it. First off, just tell me, what did you think of this episode? Well, I mean, it was wonderful. Uh, Honestly, I think it's maybe one of the best tone-setting episodes of any of the arcs, but it's clearly because Travis has put just so much effort into this world. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Like, I imagine there's a 300-page novel somewhere that is called Nua and You by Travis like McElroy. <laughs> I mean, yes. And he even opens up with this great narration with Nua to the point where I wonder if there's a narrator NPC. Do you think there's like one of the NPCs is narrating? I don't know. It would be interesting. It's, I think there's a lot. And I mean, we'll go over it as we go through the episode, but there's a lot that is very like third person omniscient. So it could be. Yeah. Because he be that, called it. realm. My favorite is simply Nua is what he calls the world. That's true. And I was like, we'll oh. find out that in like the 87th episode that it's Groundsy the Groundskeeper. Oh my God, twist <laughs> ending. Oh gosh. Speaking of that, <laughs> let's get into kind of the episode as a whole. So we start off with the episode where we are introduced to a world that has many names across many lands, but is henceforth simply referred to as Nua. We pass by the Village of Hope, uh, but everyone just calls it Last Hope, and it is because it is the last city between the Unknown Forest and the God's Carcasm, which I'm sure we will find out a lot more about as the series goes on. Yes. But before we stumble into either of these deadly locations, we reach Hieronymus Wiggenstaff's School for Heroism and Villainy, the preeminent learning establishment in Nua, and it is the first day of school. Travis says here that three out of every five professional heroes and villains come from here, So does that mean that there's a bunch of other schools or do you think that that means more so that there are just heroes that don't go through like a quote unquote school for accreditation? No, I definitely think there's other schools kind of like, I mean, I know they night school, which we'll get into more later. Yeah. Because Clyde Knights clearly doesn't have a villain track, which we kind of go over when Fitzroy's like, oh, I'm so uncomfortable being around villains. Right. So where do the other villains go? You know, obviously, I'm, I'm so interested in what these other schools are like. Well, we're missing that, you know, really long novel by yeah, Travis Yeah, no, McElroy. I mean, when we finally read it, it's going to explain all it all. Sense. Yeah. But we approach not through the main entrance, but through the wrought iron gate leading to the sidekick and henchperson annex. An awkward building that sits in the tower's shadow is clearly built as an afterthought, or so it seems. But as Travis lets us know, do not be fooled by appearances, which is the one thing he wants us to remember from this episode. So I think we can just cut the cut the podcast now. I mean, yeah, I definitely wrote that down in my notes. But you know what? It's kind of like if you were to just read that, you might be like, that's kind of a dumb line. But Travis delivers it with such passion that it low-key gave me chills when he's like, if you remember now. Nothing else. Do not be fooled by appearances. I was like, Travis. <laughs> oh my God, Travis. Yeah, no, I definitely had to put that down because he put so much emphasis on it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I'm excited. I also love that he puts emphasis like when he goes through like, hey, the sidekick and hedge person annex is kind of trash, but do not discount the importance of the support arts. And I think that's something he does a really good job of as we go through the episode is just being like, I know that it kind of feels like they're an afterthought, which again plays into like, do not be fooled by appearances. Literally the hero and villain society would fall apart without the sidekick and hench person society, which I just appreciate that I think that's Travis's like, I, Travis has a lot of social commentary on our world yes. throughout these episodes, especially the, this first one. I just like that a lot. Yeah. 
But we reach an annex dorm room housing three simple beds and a difficult to perceive cat. This is where three new students will reside for the next five years. So we know it's a five-year program. Mm -hmm. And as the first of them arrives, the cat vanishes. And already we get some of my favorite just McElroy bits right here. <laughs> so we get uh, Justin just being like, roll for room initiative, which is just so hilarious to me because like, it's so dumb. Like, we're playing D&D, roll for room initiative. <laughs> but even better, I love the hell out of Griffin just giving Travis the business now that he's finally not the DM and just being like, I'm going to talk about Supernatural for 10 minutes. I'm just going to eat a granola bar right in the mic. <laughs> and he's just like, and I like that Clint kind of has to be like, boys, like, settle down. But it's so also a little awkward because Travis does get like low key upset at that at that joke questioning, not because of like, oh, how dare you call me out? But he's like, I just had like a 20 minute beautiful speech about this world and you're going to interrupt it with like ribs but, but at the I same think it's time, just because like, he's like nervous about telling a story oh for sure he's nervous about putting himself out there but i mean how else would a mcelroy start a podcast oh no for sure i mean that's the best part of the t- the adventure zone podcast is that that personality that the mcelroy is bringing to it you can listen to any D podcast out there but they're the ones that are successful are because you really get the personality of the players along mm-hmm. with their characters mm-hmm. and i mean i think that's what the mcelroy's especially succeed at so after some friendly out of character ribbing and rolling for room initiative we meet the boys new characters as they arrive in their dorm the first one we meet is sir fitzroy maplecourt played by griffin mcelroy he is a half elf and he looks very good very sexual and very handsome i love that they put emphasis on that from the beginning oh yeah he's like i am the sexual boy i am the sexual boy he's wearing a half robe tight tight trousers and (laughs) fake glasses which fake glasses is such a power move. Yes. But it's also such a weird move for a knight because like that's not like a knightly thing in my opinion, but Okay, but I mean I know Fitz is like a huge night boy, but he's also he's more like, of a uh, as Groundsy later coins fancy lad. He is a fancy lad. But he is disappointed by the Wigan staff campus, especially the annex dorm room. And yeah, he's clearly just very like, oh God, what have I gotten myself into before we meet our second character, who is Argonaut Keen, played by Clint McElroy. He's a water genasi who is also very handsome and sexual, according to himself. One of the first things he said. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Right away fighting with his own son to be who's the hottest. Oh, man. He has a dark blue ponytail. He's wearing jodhpurs. And he has a handlebar mustache, which everyone very quickly points out is is a choice. Is a strong choice. And he's also a roguish rogue type who is also a rogue. (laughs) So there's that. Argo is far more excited about the room sharing situation than Fitzroy is, who insists it must be a mistake. He's like, are we sure? Are we sure that this is supposed to be how it is? Even though, like, I mean, he knows he's just being, I think it's just excellent RP from Griffin, who is just playing this character so snotty, but like also in a weird way redeemable right off the bat. I think just the way he says things is very like, oh no, versus like a like erudite way which he puts out with his glasses (laughs) his fake glasses he made a very strong point they're fake the final roommate to arrive is a fear bulb played by justin mcelroy immediately just chef's kiss to justin mcelroy here he is coming in so hot with an amazing character voice the second he opens his mouth and says i will sleep on the floor just blown away just he kills it like i i feel like i already know everything i need to know about this character in those first few words like, that's such a, a power move from Justin. 100%. And it is, like, one of the most iconic character entrances I think I've ever experienced in all of D&D podcasting. Insane. And I also love that Griffin gets so excited about Justin's voice work. It's so pure where he's just like, we get to listen to that for, like, so many episodes. <laughs> because it is, like, legitimately very good voice work. Yes. Justin's always been such a good RPer. Mm-hmm. But this is just good voice work. Like, I could see Justin 
doing this voice if this ever got like an animated version or anything. And I think they, I could see them all doing it if they ever got animated versions of their shows. But I think for Amnesty and for other ones, maybe they would cast actual outside of the McElroy voice actors. But mm-hmm. I think for this one, like he just kills it with that, that voice for the Fearbolg, uh, who has no name, I should clarify. No name. Uh, he announces in a deep voice that he will be sleeping on the floor. He wears a fabric made of layered leaves with rocks and pebbles sewn in and con- concerns Fitzroy with his answer to a seemingly simple question, which is, uh, what's your name? And he says, I have no name, which immediately just makes him go, oh, God. <laughs> but they start giving him nicknames. Yeah. And they, they land right on away. Bud, yes. which uh, we have for most of the episode. Yes. I think all of this episode, we are calling him Bud. I love Bud as a name for him because he's like their buddy, but also he's like a he's nature, nature yeah. so he's like a flower bud. And he's indifferent to the nickname, so he sticks with it for now. After we meet all of our characters, a stone gargoyle in the corner of the room animates, introducing himself as Gary. Gary. Uh, and starts reading off a list of announcements for new sidekicks and hench people. The first being, I find, one of the most interesting. Such a just jab on hogwarts uh, the hogwarts twitter <laughs> yes that let out that very controversial tweet where they were like before they adopted muggle sewage systems hogwarts students just on the floor and, and magic did away, it away. <laughs> and so gary uh you know says uh do not urinate or defecate on the floor because it does not magically uh magic away as it were don't listen uh, to the other students do not, it is a like... joke that the older students tell to the new students <laughs> so funny but alas fitzroy has already done it he, has he picked a corner floor, he got his corner in his in his defense he saw another student do it first so he thought it was fine <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think they teach that at Clyde Knight's Night's Night School. No, they don't. They don't tell you how to properly go to the bathroom at Clyde Knight's Night Night School. That's why he's so confused. Gary just kind of goes over a few other things, which are already immediately interesting. So he says not to ask the evil teachers how they are evil, which makes me so curious right off the bat. And he also says that if you need anything, just say, Gary, help. Which becomes a whole thing. Which in becomes the whole a whole plot. thing so fast. After Gary dismisses himself, well, he doesn't dismiss himself yet. We kind of get a few things that happen. So Fitzroy decides to take the Fearbolg's bed. Yes. And just stack them. Into something that he... Calls a bunk bed. He I doesn't think call Argo, it a bunk bed. Argo calls it a Argo bunk bed. Argo calls it a bunk bed. But can I just say worst version of a bunk bed? Like it doesn't sound like it has any comfort. No. And it's also not a functional bunk bed. It's just a double bed. It's just a double bed. And then Argo explains that there are bunks at sea, but they're hammocks. Hammocks would be the worst bed on a boat. You would never be able to sleep comfortably. You'd constantly be rocking a lot. Because you're already rocking. There's no stability on a hammock. It's the Argo's ship was a nightmare place. Oh my god. Tortured people. No wonder he's so excited to be at school now. Also, Gary says that there are sometimes five to six people per dorm to kind of assuage Fitzroy's like Do I have to share with people? Just Travis's way of being like, calm down. But at the end of the day, can you imagine how terrible it would be? Like, this doesn't sound like a big dorm to begin with if mm-hmm. five to six people have to share this. It really does push that the sidekicks are kind of treated poorly. Yes. Well, I mean, their annex is like so much smaller. Than... Yeah, it's like a tiny little hut. Yeah. <laughs> Just slightly bigger than Groundsies. So they're really cramming people <laughs> in there. But the Fearbog, he asked a few questions about Gary. That was the very first role. Oh, yeah. He, ro- he, rolls a, he rolls an insight check into Gary. Yeah. Yeah. And he rolls pretty well, and he just finds out just that Gary, you know, is kind of a hive mind. All they, they all have their own personalities. We'll probably learn more about the Garys as we go on. Mm-hmm. Fitzroy puts a piece of tape over his Gary's eyes, which is, you know, just a kind of <laughs> reference to how we put tape over our webcams. But, but I like Gary's that Gary was just like, like, I have arms. I'll take it off later. I'll just take it off. <laughs> 
<laughs> but from there, we kind of move on. Uh, and Bud, at the moment, wants to go check out not the unknown forest, but the unnamed forest in between the unknown forest and the school. So everyone kind of goes to head off to join him. So the Fearbolg and Fitzroy and Argo head off and end up meeting the second whimsically named NPC of the episode, Groundsy the Groundkeeper. He's my favorite. In a this large one. man with a big beard and big hair, obviously a Hagrid facsimile. <laughs> Clint gives Trav so much crap for having two G named characters. Yeah. He's like, oh, Groundsy and Gary are all the characters named with G's. And you could tell Travis is like, oh, I messed up here, but he didn't. As a DM. No. Don't give him crap, Clint. This is hard. It's hard to name so many characters. However, Justin came back with a fear bulb where he was saying there's a lot of honor in Groundsy's name. Because there is honor in yeah. his name. <laughs> Argo also immediately misunderstands how the Gary Help system works. And as soon as uh, Groundsy pulls up them, he's like, Gary, help! And they're like, we're outside, Argo. There's no way to call for Gary here. And this is also where we get Groundsy calling Fitzroy a fancy lad. As soon as he's like, I am Sir Fitzroy Mapercourt, he's like, ah, you're a fancy lad. And I'm like, perfect. This is him now. He is fancy lad forever. Always and forever. He tells the boys about the Unknown Forest and a few other things. He tells the boys the places on campus that are forbidden, which is the Unknown Forest and his own hut, which he claims are equally dangerous, but in different ways. Fitzroy makes a very valid point where he's like, I wasn't even thinking about your hut. I would have never in a million years thought to go to Groundsy's hut, but now you've brought it up and that's all I can think about. Yeah. And I think that's just another way of Griffin getting back at Justin. Uh, and I'm not sure Justin you've Travis. never watched this because it's not your cup of tea, but there is this very dark animation series on YouTube that's called Post ponies.mav which is based on my little pony what? but it's like very grim dark but it's what like, yeah it's super fun it's funny as heck but also like insane like it's done by some very good animators which i'll credit but they have you've heard of the my little pony franchise yes yeah? of course yeah a uh, fluttershy in it has a shed that she's like don't go to my shed because that's fluttershy's voice in the <laughs> series and when they finally do go to the shed, it's just filled with like mutilated bodies. Oh and that's God. all I could think about was like Groundsy's hut is filled with dead students. Well, I mean, he says that the unknown forest that way lies only death, which is so, why would you tell students that? I mean, that's very Hogwarts too. Like they're also told like, don't go to the forbidden forest. It's terrible over there. But then like, they're also like, all right, so you have detention. So we're going to put you in the forbidden forest. <laughs> So, you know, it's not it's not like it's it, it doesn't have precedent in the world that he's basically referencing here. That's true. Uh, the Fearbulg makes his way over to the barn and Fitzroy and Argo head off to the battlegrounds as they kind of separate because they are told they will be meeting back at the same location. And here we have one of my favorite moments in the podcast. Yes. The Fearbulg meets Hernandez, the very beautiful centaur animal handling professor. Why is everyone so beautiful in this show? So beautiful. Every, <laughs> this is just a sexual show. The Fearbulg notices that there is a baby Pegasus in the barn and Hernandez is very excited to meet the Fearbulg because he's just excited that someone that is also in tune with nature also in tune with you know speaking with animals mm-hmm. and animal handling is also at the school and he actually asked the Fearbulg for help on communicating with the baby Pegasus who was found outside the unknown forest seemingly orphaned and now is refusing to eat. The Fearbulg casts speak with animals and the Pegasus explains how she and her parents were attacked but the Fearbulg comforts her. Right off the bat the Fearbulg says there is no fear in the most terrifying way possible. <laughs> When he said it, I was like, I would die. If some if some giant eight-foot monster came up to me and said, there is no fear, I would be like, I'm about to die. I had the exact opposite reaction. I thought it was very soothing. I think the rest of it was soothing, but that first, there is no fear, <laughs> was terrifying. But can I just say, Travis's voice work for Justin, that Pegasus broke my heart. It's 
Oh, yeah, with the Pegasus. Uh, the voice work and the energy for that Pegasus where he's just so, she's just so scared and frightened. Oh, it was beautiful. Like, uh, he does such a good job with it. Yeah. He does such a good job with it. Like, I was legit so sad for this little Pegasus. When he's like, I, my mommy and daddy never came back. He's like, I think you're going to be alone for a while. I was like, oh, my heart. Crying. I mean, Justin is known for his role play. We yeah. mentioned before, but like this He just scene, kills it so hard with his fear bulb. Ugh, it's beautiful. Uh, but he also cast the very first spell. He does cast the first spell. He has a lot of the firsts. He does. He explains that he has also been separated from his clan, which gives us a little bit more insight into the Fearbolg as a character. But he says that he is still big and strong and that the Pegasus can also grow big and strong like him, but only if she eats, which is such peak dad from Justin. Oh, yeah. Like, I feel like pre-dad Justin would have had a different strategy there. But now that Justin is a dad, he's that's such dad energy that like you can grow big and strong like me if you just eat. I love it. No, I, I got the same feeling. He was very dad energy, that whole interaction. Uh, but the Pegasus lets us know that uh, she was attacked. Or her and her clan were attacked by something that moved so fast. It wasn't big, but it moved so fast, which terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. What yeah. is it? Let me know right now. <laughs> And then he has that very beautiful, for now, let us eat our berries and be quiet. I think sometimes they forget how to be quiet. As an introvert, it's like such a chef's kiss line. <laughs> I'm going to start using that. <laughs> Meanwhile, Fitzroy and Argo visit the school battlegrounds. And right here is where I was like, there is a 5,000 page novel of this world. Because Travis is like has such a clearly written out detailed description of exactly what this battleground is like, what is happening on this battleground, and the characters on this battleground. Yes. And I was like, this is easily a full page that he is reading off of right now. And it made it very clear that there is some 200 page notebook somewhere that has every single detail of this world. But here's also where we meet the Goliath woman, a dark skinned man and a silver dragonborn that are demonstrating battle techniques. We learn the man to be Jimson, who is a battlegrounds trainer for sidekicks and hench people, as well as a famous arena champion once they roll a wisdom check, which I thought was weird. Yeah. Usually like finding stuff out about people is int, which is what I would have had them roll if I was a DM of this. But again, Travis is kind of still new to DMing. So sure. like, I get why he was like, well, are you wise enough? Quote, question mark <laughs> to know uh, about these people. But, you know, they do learn that not only is Jimson a famous arena champion, but he is the husband of the dragonborn here, which is Crush mm-hmm. or Crushman. Technically Crushman, but, but he goes, by, goes crush. by Crush. But we don't learn much about the Goliath woman yet. No. But Jimson expresses excitement when he uh, realizes that it's Fitzroy, but it's kind of very, I don't think purposely backhanded. It's very like, oh, you're the person that's that failed out of, the, uh, failed out of their last school. Well, he says you failed out of the hero track before, yes. uh, which I'm assuming was from Clyde Knight's night school. So clearly Clyde Knight's also has a hero track, but also clearly doesn't have a villain track. At least none that we've heard of. But it does obviously clarify my earlier question on the two, the other two of five heroes, heroes and villains. Heroes and villains. <laughs> but he... Ex- and you know Fitzroy's kind of like oh thanks for bringing that up it's not literally my greatest shame in my life that I used to be in the hero track and now I'm a sidekick at this different school he literally says his powers ruined his life he literally does and Jimson's very much like that's not how I meant it (laughs) but he's just very excited because they're like wow we get to work with someone that has skill I think is how Travis was trying to put it and from a different school like yeah a lot of them came here right away the trio reconvene and relay their experiences which I also love 
Griffin's like, I also had meaningful connections with animals along the way, which gets immediately dismissed. But I just love it. Because everyone knows that that Pegasus moment is all anyone's going to be talking about. It's all anyone's going to talk about, which, of course, it's so good. They encounter the extremely hungover Rolandis Fontaine, who has a great voice. uh, But he is, they say, Fitzroy's equal match in the fancy name uh, department, (laughs) which he is. (laughs) Rolandis Fontaine is such a good name, but I do still prefer Fitzroy Mablecourt as a fancy name. Sir, it's Sir Fitzroy Sir Fitzroy Mablecourt. We haven't learned the rest of it. We learn it later in the episode. We but do. But we do know that it is Sir Fitzroy Mablecourt. Night in absentia for the realm of Good Castle. <laughs> Uh, Rolandis, uh, so he is accompanied by the villain sorcerer Sena and the hero ranger Rhodes. He initially mistakes Fitzroy to be a hero as well and mm-hmm. is very like, ooh, it's so exciting to meet another hero. And then Fitzroy has that awkward, ooh, ooh. yikes. I think that's a mistake that I'm in the sidekick. And then Argo's very snotty and he's like, well, you're with us and we're sidekicks. That, like, their rivalry starts off from Aggressive, the ground. But, yeah. you know, I think it's Fitzroy. I think Argo kind of came in being like, we can be friends. And then Fitzroy was like, why am I here? And Argo was like, All right, oh, fuck you, bud. Okay. <laughs> and then the Fearbulg has one of my favorite lines where he's like, I am a disgrace nothing. And I was like, big mood. <laughs> big mood. I'm also a disgrace nothing. <laughs> no. <laughs> god okay (laughs) (laughs) but yeah Rolandis is kind of a jerk and he's like oh you're just a sidekick I don't know why I wasted my time here please get out of my way yeah complete 180 such a jerk but at this point his series of dick moves is interrupted by Buckminster Eden and Rainier who reveal that Rolandis is himself the son of a deposed king which kind of is like oh you can't give him shit like you're the son of a deposed king which is like a very good little world building there yeah Uh, did you know that Buckminster is actually Travis's own PC what yeah Buckminster was the PC that Travis played in a different podcast called Broadswords. What? I learned that while researching stuff for this podcast. It was only one episode. That's why he has a little bit of lore with Buckminster where he's like, I'm the son of the Iron Lord. No need to get into it or whatever. And at first I was like, we'll get into it. I'm excited. What's this Iron <laughs> Lord business? But it's because he built this character for another D&D campaign. Oh. And he's just kind of inserting him here, which I thought was cute. That is cute. So is this before or after? I, I'll have to listen to the Broadswords episode. I'm assuming it's probably he's at school. before because yeah. he's at school and stuff. He describes himself as a, as a self-described charming piece of shit, which further clarifies that it's a Travis self-insert because that's how he talks about himself. <laughs> uh, and he introduces his soft-spoken sidekick, Leon, who I love. I love oh, Leon. Oh my God, I love Leon. And Rainier. And Rainier is ugh, so wonderful. Chef's kiss for Rainier. Rainier is this super uppy and peppy necromancer, which makes her a villain, which again, just I'll get into it in a little bit more, but the hero and villain thing is so interesting to me. Yeah. But Rainier uh, suffers from a chronic illness, so sits basically in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. It's a floating chair, which I'm still here for the representation yes. of that. Like disability representation in media is really important. I don't think it's taken as serious as the also very important LGBT representation, pe- person of color representation. But, you know, I think in that mix of like we need to be more representative, disabilities kind of get forgotten a lot of times. More than anything else. Yeah. And I think Travis is super excited about it because he kind of goads him into asking about the chair. Griffin's like, I wasn't going to ask about it. I thought that would be rude. He's like, no, I'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, please let me. Uh, and he's clearly put a lot of thought into how the chair works and why Rainier needs it. And he's just mm-hmm. so proud of mm-hmm. putting this in. And I love it. Yeah. It's very pure. Uh, and Fitzroy 
actually considers Rainier to be the first cool person he meets at the school. So he's still a little weirded out that there's villains at the school, which again proves that Clyde Knights probably doesn't have a villain track. Yeah. Even though like I think a villainous knights, I mean, are a thing in D D. And I think that'd be an interesting art angle, but obviously probably not. Because knights are so like of my order and of my oath and for queen and country. I mean, it's kind of like the paladin class where they all have their oaths, but there's the oath breaker. <sighs> yeah, I love oath breaker paladins. But Such they're like outcasts. Yeah. We learn a little bit about the world here. We learn about the heroic oversight guild. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we find out kind of how evil works, which so let's just get into it for a minute. Mm-hmm. So the Heroic Oversight Guild also oversees villains because hero and villains are kind of meaningless titles in this world. At least they're not for morality-based. But it's also performative. So yes, performative. Uh, heroes and villains basically mean nothing. It seems like performance art more than anything. Like, yes. like you know, it's really just your powers lend themselves to looking evil, so you'll be a villain, and your powers lend themselves to looking heroic, so you'll be a hero. And then evil basically just means that you've lost your accreditation to be a hero or a villain. You became which- too what like power hungry well, it's not or... even power hungry it's literally just like you just lost your accreditation with them it'd be like if you had a planet fitness membership and the second <laughs> you stopped paying for your planet fitness membership they're like all right you are now on the evil list like that's all it is but i i mean we don't get into it much in this episode but i am curious to know what they've done which is one of the school rules you can't ask you a can't teacher ask why they're but evil i do love the concept that the hero and villain titles are basically meaningless that's interesting moral question about heroes who are bad people and villains who like rainier are super delightful it's also performative that i wonder how they handle when actual evil enters the equation which i think is probably where travis is heading with this storyline yeah because he's really burying in the like hero villain and even the phrase evil have lost so much meaning in this world it's also performative it's also just it's almost an act for everyone. It reminds me of Megamind, where it was so much more about the show. Yeah. Instead of the actual being a hero and villain. Yeah, I think it's so interesting. And I'm really here for the world building. Oh, that. absolutely. The gang enters the school dining hall for orientation a little bit after this, uh, where the human guidance counselor, Tomas, introduces Hieronymus Wiggenstaff, <laughs> the legendary elf hero who founded the school. Uh, I love his intro of Hieronymus, by the way, because it's obviously very like thought out, but I like his little pause for laughs. <laughs> That was so perfect. That was a really good character building moment mm-hmm. for Tomas where he's clearly so nervous about it. That's what I try to do when I'm creating NPCs as a DM. Like as I'm playing them, I'm like, what's their weird quirk? What's their little personality trait that's super different that makes them stand out? Because even if I do like three characters with the same voice, like this one's going to be nervous and this one's going to be excitable and this one's going to be like sad all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think Travis does such a good job of that in this first episode. There's so many characters we meet and I could tell the oh difference between all of so them. So many characters we meet. If I had to... I mean, I did have to do research for this episode, (laughs) but if I had to write out like a list of every character we met, just a straight up list, I could probably be like half a page long. Easily. But Hieronymus introduces his younger brother and lifelong sidekick, Hagelmiss Wiggenstaff, before realizing that Hagelmiss's chair is empty. Instead, Hagelmiss, who looks significantly older than his older brother, Mm -hmm. appears in illusory form, which such a grump. I, okay, such a grump. I love him. I love him because I would do the exact same thing. (laughs) Piss off. (laughs) I know I'm literally the vice principal of the school, basically, but I will not be here for orientation. I will, like, I'll Skype in, but, like, that's it. I'll Skype in. (laughs) (laughs) Hagelmiss started social distancing. Pass it along. (laughs) Oh, Uh, my God. But, you know, we have, like, we clearly get the vibe that Hieronymus is, like, this epic grand hero. I mean, it's in his name. His name is basically Hero Hormis. Like, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I love the last name Wiggenstaff, too. Such a good little, like, magic-y name. Oh, super magic-y. Uh, we also meet Stuart LaBeouf. 
the chef. The chef. Uh, and all we learn is he's like, I'm Seward LaBeouf. I am the chef and I hate nicknames. But then they go on a Shia LaBeouf. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> also canonically the great, great grandfather of Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> And do have to establish that even Stevens is not a thing in this world. No, it is not. But, you know, the, the banquet and the feast are all so big. So, like, clearly the school doesn't spare expense, right? Right. But also the sidekicks and hench people have such, like, a lower quality of life here. I wonder if they pay any less tuition. My cynical mind is probably thinking no. Probably not, yeah. right? It's, it, I mean, because <laughs> you kind of have to think about it in, like, a real-life context. Apologies to Lauren and any other theater majors out there. Thanks. But that'd be like being like, well, people that are getting real jobs, they pay more for tuition. But people with, like, theater degrees, they pay less because, like, we know they're not going to get a job after this. Oh, Apologies but... again to the theater, English, and art majors out there. God. And we all had to pay the same tuition. Oh, I had to pay the same amount. Hey, man. I went to school social work in a minor in film. So I did both real job and fake job. <laughs> and we're both currently furloughed. And both of us so. are doing neither of those things and are currently <laughs> furloughed. But that's more the pandemic than anything. Oh, God. Lunch is served and Leon invites the boys to come sit with him, Buckminster, and Rainier. Fitzroy attempts to sit with the teachers after a little <laughs> ribbing of like, I wouldn't make you sit with the teachers. And Fitzroy's like, no, I'm going to sit with the go. teachers. But he wants to talk about his Yeah, he just wants to talk transfer. about his uh, stuff, which this is where we learn a little bit more about Fitzroy. So he goes up to Tomas and Tomas actually says that he failed out of Clyde Knight's Night Night School, which we've bred, started a few times but just god what a phenomenal name clyde knight clyde knight's Knight's night night school School. i'm sure it's official somewhere is it clyde knight's n-i-g-h-t k-n-i-g-h-t school or is it clyde knight's night night school i in my notes (laughs) i have it as clyde knight as in the time of day yeah night as in oh see i had it as clyde k knight what oh my god no i had it completely different oh my god okay but he says that he failed out of Clyde Knight's Night School. And Fitzroy kind of is apprehensive. Like, he doesn't disagree. Like, he's not like, that's wrong. But he's like, that's not exactly what happened. Which but I'm that assuming... could speak more to his vanity than anything. Yeah. It's very curious, though. Like, we're so, there's still a big mystery over, like, why is Fitz here? Yes. I should say, I'm already calling him Fitz, which we learn he hates as we move forward. It's Sir Fitzroy. He puts a lot of emphasis on He puts on a lot of Sir. emphasis. He's very fancy lad. He cares a lot about his title, which is fair. I mean, it's I a long it. title. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He explains that his magic manifested unexpectedly late when he goes back over with everyone. You know, they ask him if he's a druid, a sorcerer, what is he? And he says, like, he's undecided, which is such a funny way of thinking about magic. (laughs) Because magic is so purposeful in the D&D world. Like, you get your magic from your god. You get your magic from nature. Wizard's the only one where, like, think about what you're going to elective, I guess. Yeah. But But it's such a typical college student thing. Such a typical... You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm shopping around, auditing some (laughs) divination classes. Uh, On Wednesdays, I have my you know like you know you just think about it like in a very college aspect super but he receives some good natured ribbing for his limited repertoire of spells after he's like i know prestidigitation and everyone's like yeah everyone does but but does come to his defense and he's like i do not know prestidigitation yeah. but then he kind of odd uh, goes to his defense when he's like well it's not a spell it's a cantrip <laughs> which cantrips are spells passing along cantrips are spells they're just super easy yeah they're just super easy spells. yeah they discuss their character classes we learn that buckminster is a rogue just like argo mm-hmm. leon is a fighter and the fear is a druid do we think buckminster is as roguey looking as argo you know i don't picture buckminster looking roguey at I don't all either i figure buckminster when he's introduced reads so knight like to me yes. he reads like a fighter so when he's like i'm a rogue it didn't change what i imagined him looking like but it did change what he was wearing which is such a weird statement on my imagination no <laughs> it's, it's just like he's still this giant buff guy but he's wearing like ninja clothes 
now he's wearing ninja clothes whereas before he's wearing armor and a exactly cape. but yeah. yeah when he introduces buckminster and buckminster is also such a regal sounding name but obviously yeah. he's probably a rogue because that's probably how travis played him in the other campaign and travis notoriously loves rogues he loves rogues yes rainier demonstrates her mastery of necromancy by reanimating a squirrel skeleton and making it dance with a hello my baby hello my darling which they keep saying is somehow somewhat cute but mostly troubling but that just sounds straight up cute okay i think it sounds super cute but we also buy skeletons at halloween i was literally thinking about how i saw a squirrel skeleton at joanne's the other day and, all and i was like this looks hella cute but back in hieronymus wiggenstaff school i guess they had terrifying. fantasy joanne's and they bought fan- <laughs> they didn't need to that's buy fantasy the, that's gonna be the shop in this campaign fantasy fantasy Joanne's. Joanne's. oh no but the beer book says it causes him a great pain it, to it see these skeletons <laughs> It's so wonderful, though. This is where the Feuerbolg gives up the... He brings up the Bud nickname, and they... Are we, like, married to this? He doesn't And he does dismiss it. It's like, I don't want the Bud nickname anymore. Because he's older. He's not a Bud. Yes. He does briefly get called Fitzroy, too, which he accepts for a moment before also being like, that's not my name. That's not my name. That's the the theme song for the Feuerbolg when we do our (laughs) eventual theme song. Have you ever seen those YouTube videos where they're like, you know, all the characters in this show, but if each of them had their own theme song? (gasps) I haven't. They're so good. I love them when they're done well. We're and if do one we had days. one for the Fear Bulk, it would be, that's not my name. That's not my name. <laughs> Once we're kind of done with this moment, Buckminster offers to take the boys on a tour of the school. But before they can depart from the dining hall, Rolandis appears to apologize uh, with a questionable degree of sincerity for his yeah, behavior while hungover. I don't trust him. And invites the boys to a dangerous, terrifying rite of passage ceremony, which at first sounds like some mean hazing, but all the other students kind of very quickly are like, no, it's a thing. Everybody goes through it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Buckminster downplays the danger of it just to kind of assuage their fears. Uh, the boys agree and Rolandis tells them to meet him at, uh, he says like this very fun line where it's like, when the ravens roost or something like that. And he's like, <laughs> also, it's just nine o'clock <laughs> at the edge of the unknown forest. Here we get another ribbing on Hogwarts where he's like, be careful of the stairs. And they're like, why do they move? And he's like, no, they're just old. They're why would they move? Old. That's such an ineffective way of doing stairs. I was laughing so hard because <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, they dunk on Hogwarts a lot so in this much. episode. <laughs> Hi, everyone. It's me, PJ, here to take a moment to once again thank you for joining us for our very first episode of Talkin' Taz. We really hope you're liking it. Whether you are or aren't, feel free to connect and engage with us on our social medias. You can find us on Twitter on at Talkin' Taz. You can find us on Facebook with at Taz or by searching for Taz Podcast. You can also find links to these accounts as well as all of our episodes by visiting our website, talkin-taz.pinecast.co. A few notes from this episode, the Ponies.Moth series is made by the amazing animator over on the YouTube channel, Hot Diggity Demon. If the episode descriptions were not enough, I would like to note that the series is raunchy, violent, and crass, but well animated and absurdly funny. I leave it to you and your sensibilities if you feel you want to check it out. On top of that, we have official ruling on the most important question of the series so far. How do you spell Clyde Knight's Night Night School? Well, folks, I'm here to tell you it's Clyde N-I-T-E's N-I-G-H-T K-N-I-G-H-T School. Three different ways to spell night, meaning Lauren and I were both incorrect in our assumptions. We hope you'll join us again next Thursday and every following Thursday for our next episode as we continue to listen through graduation. Now back to the podcast. 
they start off not on the fifth floor because that is where Hieronymus's office is. Mm-hmm. They start on the fourth floor and slowly descend, starting with uh, the fourth floor where there are the survival, persuasion, accounting, and sneakery classrooms, which we find out all but sneakery are hero villain exclusive classes, which is like kind of messed up because it's not even like super specialized. It's survival and persuasion. Accounting and sneakery are the only ones that aren't like hero villain exclusive but i mean i like that though because then it really puts that the hero is the one who's in charge it's true it's true yeah but we do learn that the sneakery class is taught by the kenku named jackal and it is the only classroom in the school with a balcony which i figure is for dramatic effect more than anything i like that this school has one balcony one balcony one one single balcony like if you look at it from outside it's like flat 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 balcony flat 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 (laughs) and you're like that's that's the sneakery classroom it's so well hidden we learned that accounting is taught by bartholomus an owl that griffin seems to think that tumblr is horny for uh, what which, i mean you don't remember that he says like he's like bartholomus he's like the owl that tumblr is going nuts for he says that oh right away uh, why is everyone so sexual in this campaign uh, but he is famous in universe for being literally the best accountant in this world mm-hmm. and he explains that accounting is such a prized skill in nua uh, which is so interesting i like that the support arts do have prestige mm-hmm. on the third floor we meet not meet but we find the research healing potions strategy and magic classrooms which again strategy is hero villain exclusive which to your point now makes more sense mm-hmm uh, and the second floor houses administrative offices like placement, which coordinates real world assignments, which I'm assuming we'll get to in later episodes. Yes. The entry hall, the dining hall, and the research library are found on the first floor. The test tavern is where we go to next. It is found on the first level of the basement. And this is where the drinking, aka social graces, class is taught, which for some reason, when I started listening to this, I read them all as like 18 years old. But knowing that there's like a bar drinking class was like, oh, yeah, they're all a lot older. And then it kind of becomes more clear as you go like, oh, these kids are all in their 20s, not in their like teens. But it also makes sense to have a bar on campus. For sure. For sure. So many kids come of age at that time. Yeah. But I definitely saw them as younger at first, too. So the class is taught within where students practice social skills like info gathering, but they can also earn money working there as bartenders or actors. Which is so cool. Which is, yeah, no, that's so cool. Can you imagine if you had a class that was like, be cool at a bar? I would fail. <laughs> But that's a cool-ass class. I mean, I would, yeah. You get paid to drink. You get credit for drinking. That's every college student's dream. <laughs> but next door is the one of my favorite places, which is the Test Dungeon, which is staffed by the Skeleton Crew. So we learned that they don't love that those names. No. They introduce themselves as Scully, Bonesy, and Rattles. But then quickly... That's a joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the real names are Jermaine, Victoria, and Rattles. So Rattles is Rattles. Yes. Yeah, so Rattles' name is just straight-up Rattles. <laughs> They engage in a round of practice combat with the new students here, mm-hmm. which is where we have our first like initiative and combat, combat. roles. Yeah. So Fitzroy uh, rolls highest on initiative and attacks Jermaine. And with our first attack roll of the game, just immediate nat 20. Yes. Set in the tone right off the bat. He shocking grasps him and he blasts him apart. And then yeah. his bones bounce back together. And Jermaine, nat 20 right back. Yes. Just two nat 20s right in a row. It was insane uh, this is also where we learn that fitzroy is a magical barbarian wild magic barbarian to be specific which was so wild to me that's the first time i've ever heard it of was this wild the class. wild magic barbarian get out of here get out of here oh my god <laughs> <laughs> but fitzroy is immediately healed back to full health which i was like oh that's fun i like that you don't take that any mechanic. damage here yeah 
the fear bulg is very apprehensive. He's like, I don't want to fight you. I don't want to fight you. Then out of nowhere, just casts Lely and bashes Jermaine's head in. Yes. And then we move to Argo, who doesn't understand sneak attack yet. He's like, I am next, and I sneak attack. And they're like, that's that, that's not how sneak attack works, not Dad. Yet, bud. <laughs> uh, but another nat 20. Yep. Out of four rolls in our first quote-unquote combat encounter, three nat 20s. It was insane. Also, Argo says his rapier's name is Hertha. Right? I was and like, I was like, what is that? Hertha. What? That's such an interesting name. Not Bertha, not something else. Hertha. It's Hertha. Interesting. That's so, I mean, it's probably a reference to something. Yeah. Clint is an old man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's seen a lot. Jermaine explains that he is magic as hell, so he is fine and doesn't feel any pain. Fitzroy assumes the skeleton crew are basically prisoners and he offers to try to free them. <laughs> but Jermaine explains that they love it here. And Jermaine also says that he's writing a novel. Yes. What do we think Jermaine's novel is about? Do you? Okay, so it's clearly a novel. It's fiction. Yes. Do you think it is about a magical school and this little boy? Jermaine's a narrator. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Jermaine's Your theory from the beginning. <gasps> where we are Jermaine. We're reading Jermaine's book. That's oh what's God. happening. This is That's Jermaine's my story. Headcanon. This is all Jermaine's novel. Oh, my God. God, we cracked it right sorry, here Travis, right now. Sorry, Travis. We ruined it already. We ruined the ending of graduation. I'm sorry, but, <laughs> you know, it had to happen. Um, they ask if they get XP, and he says, no, just life lessons, to which leads to the brief discussion of what is XP other than life lessons, because experience just means, XP just means experience. Yeah. So they're kind of right, but, I mean, Travis just brushes it off. He's like, all right, you're level 18 now, and then jokingly. <laughs> The tour of the main tower concludes on the second level of the basement, which houses the blacksmithing and artificing rooms. Uh, both rooms are extremely hot and keep the tower warm all year, which they joke that's why there is no school in summer, because it would be too hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also learned the school has about 50 heroes and villains and about 100 henches and sides, which kind of Travis really explains, like, this is a prestigious school you guys are in. Like, it's hard to get into. Mm-hmm. And there's only a few of you, which I, I appreciate because I think there was a little bit of a vibe of, like, it's just... It's the school. I think just because of the way the sidekick acts is described. Exactly. But that also makes sense then why the sidekicks are so crammed into their little rooms. Yeah. There's double There's of twice them. As, twice yeah. as much of them. Yeah. Argo also here keeps asking questions about sidekicks. Like he's, do you get to choose who your hero is? And he just keeps like being like, I'm super excited to be a sidekick. Like he seems a little too gung ho to be a sidekick. He's very excited. Yeah. But uh, Buckminster leads a tour into the annex, which looks super rickety as we've established, but has stood for almost 250 years. The first floor contains classrooms for cooking, blame taking, which I love. That's so funny. Watch keeping and the support arts while the classrooms on the second floor are unused, which weird. I know. Uh, the third floor is Higglemiss's office, which he never leaves. Much to everyone's surprise, when they knock, he answers, which yes. apparently never happens. Yes. He immediately is like, oh, you must be the failure, basically, to Fitzroy. <laughs> and you're the fearbold. <laughs> and we get the second instance of Argo completely being forgotten by the faculty here. Yes. Because when he met, when they met Jimson, Argo was the one that succeeded on the insight role. And he was like, oh, my God, I love you. And then he was like, hello, Fitzroy. <laughs> and Argo was like, okay. I mean, I was super excited, but whatever. And then here, uh, Higglemiss introduces himself to the fearbold and to Fitzroy, Fitzroy. But then it's like kind of like ignores Argo. And I'm just like, poor Argo. To he the just... point where even Fitzroy's like, there are three of there us standing There are three of us here. here. And Higglemiss invites him in to, so that the fear bowl can check if there's anything wrong with his dog. Immediately, love that he has a dog. Yeah. Love that his name is Hero. Yeah. So, so, so cute. He's very Grinch-like. And I can't, was it, so did Argo go in or not? I think not, because there's a point where he says something and 
someone was like, you're not here. I think it was Travis, but he was doing it in the Higglemas voice. And I didn't know if it was just being Higglemas being a jerk or if it was Travis saying something. Saying Argo, you're not in the I think room. he wasn't in there. I don't think he was. Which is, again, messed up. Argo just left out of this entire scene. It's not long. But the fear bulb rolls an animal handling check. And with a 19, realizes there's nothing unusual or wrong with the collie dog in question. But that doesn't make the exchange any less weird, per se. I mean, Higglemas is a, he's a cranky boy. Higglemas is a super cranky guy. Fitzroy asks, is this a test? And he's like, no, I'm just curious about my dog i love my dog which is so sus but he does say like you know he's getting up there in years and it's very rare that anybody makes her way up here who gets any kind of insight into you know animal health which i was like what about the animal handling teacher is he not <laughs> no but hig is in the sidekicks wing that's true but i mean i'm sure he could ask him to come on over hey one of my employees please come on over and check on my dog it's whatever can we talk though like they on purpose did not go up to hieronymus's office but when they went to tour this sidekick they went annex. to Higglemas which is so interesting especially considering Hieronymus presents as much more accessible yes than Higglemas so much more Fitzroy asks Higglemas about his his credit hours and Higglemas <laughs> is very sarcastic that's he's like fight. it's my top priority I'll drop everything and at first he's like oh great and he's like oh you're being facetious <laughs> And they're kind of in there for a little too long. And Higglemas tells his dog hero to get the door for them. Fitzroy makes a weird odor with prestidigitation, which Higglemas thinks is funny as hell. Yeah, he, he does. He laughs his ass off. We cut away from that to that night. The boys sneak out of their dorms and meet Rolandas, Zena, Rhodes, Rainier, Buckminster, and Leon about 20 feet away from the edge of the unknown forest. Which, does that mean they're the only incoming freshmen if everyone else has already done this ritual that makes sense because it is a very prestigious yeah but does that mean that this school this year only took three sidekicks no heroes or villains or maybe they all do it at different hours maybe but it's clearly not a segregated thing because some of these are heroes and villains but they're the ones that made connections with these boys that's true you're not wrong but it seems like it would be like a school-wide thing you know i don't know maybe they go to different parts of the end that's true i mean i don't know how big it is We'll, we'll we'll probably learn more about it as we go along but there about 20 feet away from the edge of the unknown forest which stretches across the horizon and is somehow even darker than the night itself which is chef's kiss love that (laughs) description Rolandis points to the closest tree at the edge of the forest, uh, which is carved up with hundreds of names and tells the boys to carve their names into it. Without losing their nerve. Without losing their nerve. As countless students before them have visibly done. I do respect Fitzroy trying to be supportive and respectful to Fearbulg's like veganism, which we established he's basically vegan, like with his like, it looks like leather, but it's leaves. And he's like, do you not want to hurt the trees? Trees don't have feelings. I mean, I'm still not going to do it, but trees don't have feelings. (laughs) Fitzroy. Which I'm like, that was Justin. Yeah. Just like shitting on his little brother. For sure. 100% (laughs) that's all it is. Rainier is very thoughtful and offers the Fearbulg a piece of charcoal so that they can just write on the tree as opposed to carve it up. I mean, I think the damage has already been done to that tree. I think it's over, yeah. But it's fine. I appreciate the sentiment. Which he does too. He does, yeah. Yeah. So the three of them try to get to the tree. The fear bull casting jump on himself. So he's like, I'm assuming skipping aggressively. Oh, no. I anticipated one giant bound. One giant leap. You're right. Because I think jump gives you a 30 foot or it triples your jump distance, which for him would probably be like 10 feet. Yeah. And it's only 20 feet away. So yeah, he could do a single leap and bound over to that tree. That's what I pictured. And then they all roll wisdom saving throws, which only the fear bulk succeeds. So Argo and Fitzroy are kind of left to scramble backwards and hear a telepathic voice boom. You should not be here. And they kind of run away. I mean, they're basically under the fear spell. 
but the fear bulk succeeds and the voice doesn't sound that deep and booming it just sounds like someone pretending to be ominous and intimidating and after a perception check of 22 uh the fear bulk notices a pair of red eyes deep within the forest he's like i'm gonna go towards the red eyes right and i don't remember the fear bulk asking what is your name but then travis responds with i don't i don't know that i have a name i think he misheard something that i wonder did he ask like who are you i think maybe he said who are you not what's your name though those are different questions and the fear bulbs don't have names yeah there's no need yeah but yeah as soon as he's like i'm gonna walk towards the guys the voice is like no don't and the fear bulbs like okay like end of conversation And he's like, thank you. I just don't want people to get hurt anymore, which is so ominous. Right? And he's like, take your friends and run. Run now. It's like, what and the heck? he asks, what's the danger? And he says, it's everywhere. Which, again, ominous as hell. <laughs> but he kind of casually walks back after the other two have run back. And Buckminster and the rest are just laughing their ass off as the boys return from the forest. And they're like, they're oh, like ha, ha. ha, ha, ha. That must have been wild. What did you guys see? And the Fearbulk's like, literally just describes he's like, there were eyes. They, they told, told me, me there right. was fear everywhere. Like, yeah. And they're like, what? What? That's not what happens. <laughs> Everyone just hears a scary noise and runs away. It uh, makes sense, though, because this is the first fear bulb at the school that we know of. And he's super so connected nature. to nature. Yeah. And they're all surprised. And they kind of are like, that's your your fear played tricks on you. And then Fitzroy admits that he almost <laughs> himself in fear. <laughs> but he can't do it on the floor. He can't do it Fitz. on the floor. But they do point out the woods would be the place to do it. That's true. Moments later, they're caught by Groundsy, the groundskeeper, or as Argo calls him, Truy, the an officer who sends them back to their dorms before we see several scenes play out across the nighttime campus. Groundsy returning to his hut, assumedly to a horde of murder corpses. Yeah, he like looks around to make sure there's no one around and yeah. then goes into his hut. A younger brother who we can assume is Higglemas scribbling notes in old tomes and an older brother who we can assume is Hieronymus staring into a fire, a his eyes expressionless and cold, which is so interesting because he presents... Hieronymus is so like confident and like warm, warm. and welcoming. I- I'm reading that as very like he's traumatized by everything he's been through, which if you've been a, a war hero basically for 500 years, I would imagine you'd kind of have intense PTSD. That's true. And then we also move to a battle scarred couple who we can assume is Gibson and Crush. Yep. quieting each other's nightmares which is so oh. hard again a lot of ptsd in this closing so, well that makes sense though yeah yeah and another unnamed but settling presence somewhere far away but nearer than we would like something else is also awaiting what is to come but it thinks not of midterms and first loves it dwells on bloods and chaos as our trio settles into their beds somewhere in the abyss a monster smiles which like okay <laughs> uh i have like three notes on this this is college I feel like people would have had their first loves by now. Some? I think that's part of the reason why I thought it was high school the first time I heard it. Well, I don't know. Not everyone has had their I first know, love. I not everyone. But like, that's more of a high school thing than a college thing. I think college is maybe where you have your first like serious relationship. So Although, I guess you qualify that. Yeah, because first love, whereas opposed to like a crush or something in yeah, high school. Yeah, I mean, you think it's first love in high school, but it's just, it's not. It's not. <laughs> I mean, th- that's not to discount anyone that has a high school sweetheart. Like, more power to you. I think that's cute as hell that you guys have made that work. It doesn't always work for people. Usually doesn't. But like, man, what is this thing that's so terrifying with red eyes in the forest I mean, clearly this is like a big bad or the big bad like maybe it's just the big bad of the first part of the story or i don't know a we'll find out but i'm terrified that's so ominous but that is where we end our first episode of graduation and we already kind of talked about what we thought about it but going through it just it's so insane the world building in this episode is so fast yes it's, I think, maybe one of the longest episodes looking at the episode list, like, of the entire arc. Which makes sense because there's so much groundwork to lay. So much groundwork to lay. Groundsy had his job <laughs> cut out for him. 
which is why he has to go to his hut. Groundsy's hut is filled with the rest of the lore. That's where it is. <laughs> oh my god, that's where Jermaine's that's where, writing his novel. That's where Jermaine. That's literally <laughs> what I was about to say. That's where he's writing his novel. I hate it. I hate us. <laughs> or we're giving Travis a lot of ideas. He's like, Ooh. yeah, Travis is gonna listen to this one day and he'll be yeah. like, there you go. They figured it out. Those wow. bastards. They figured it out. Luckily, no one listened to their podcast, so no one was spoiled <laughs> preemptively. But those two, those two people, again, love you. Yeah, they had a good time listening to it. All right. I mean, that's. I think that's all we've got for this episode of Talking Taz. Join us next week for our listen through of episode two. It's a familiar. But not too familiar. Oh, God. Already (laughs) coming in with that phenomenal joke from that episode. But that's all I've got for you. I've been PJ. And I'm Lauren. And thank you for joining us. And join us next week when we are once again Talking Taz.